If you're, if you're new with us today, um, you're landing into to week three out of a 10-week series uh, looking at the Ten Commandments. So um, we're on commandment number three this week. Um, we've been looking, first of all, the first commandment, no other gods before me. And then the second commandment last week, don't make for yourself an image to worship me through that image. And today we're going to be looking at this commandment here in Deuteronomy 5, verse 11. This is what it says, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the third commandment right there. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you see, the first three uh, commandments that we've looked at, uh, including today, uh, are all about our right orientation towards God. It's all about worship, essentially. How do we respond to God? Who is God and how do we respond to him? And how are we to sort of organize ourselves around him? And so uh, we're going to be looking today then in a bit more detail at this command and what it means and, and its implications for us today. We're going to go under these headings, guilt, grace, and gratitude. That's pretty much the, the flow of our next 10 weeks, actually. We're going to be looking at the law and what it means and how it applies to us. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus and how he changes things and, and the way we relate to that law. And then we're going to be looking at how we live in response to all those things. Okay, So guilt, grace, and gratitude. Or uh, if you want to put it like this, the command, how Jesus makes a difference. And thirdly and finally, how we must live in response. Okay, So let's look, look at the command first of all, and then we, we'll try and get, get our grip on what is being said here in, in, this, in this commandment. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, it's important, by the way, that we get the first three or so commandments ready. Uh, we, we get them deep in our hearts, in our minds, um, because the rest of the commandments flow from them. We have, to, we have to understand God and how we relate to him first if we are then to work out how we are to relate to one another and to the world. So do not lie, you know, do not kill, uh, sorry, do not, do not murder, um, do not you know, um, covet stuff. That all flows from our relationship with God. So we, we can't um, brush over the first three. We have to really get those deep down. Okay? So there is a connection, and, and actually it's worked really well. But this, all this stuff about freedom and justice that we're going to be looking at next week, it's kind of a, um, we're, we're parking the Ten Commandments for a bit, but it actually fits in beautifully because we've just spent three weeks examining God. And then uh, you know, next week we're going to be looking at his call to us to, to go out and, and bring freedom and justice in his name. So that's awesome. Um, but that wouldn't really work for us um, as the church and as Christians unless uh, we understand God properly. Okay, so what, what is the commandment? Let's examine that in a bit more detail. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, other, other, other translations put it, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Um, it's all about wrongful use. You shall not profane the name of the Lord your God. You know, profane is like an old school word. Uh, it means make common, you know. Make common that which is holy and special. Don't, 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 don't make it common. Um, and when you, when you look at the original Hebrew behind this word, you, you realize there's a, there's a whole big range of applications and uses of this, this word, emptiness and, and, and profanity. Um, and literally, in the Hebrew, I've just said it, um, it, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord to emptiness. That's, that's what it actually says in the original Hebrew. Uh, so what we're saying here is that when we come to understanding and using the name of the Lord, uh, we shall not use it in a way that empties it of all of its meaning uh, all of his meaning. We shall not debase it. We shall not make his name worthless because of the way that we use his, his, his name. We shall not rob him effectively of his significance and who he is. Why, why is that so important for Christians and, and for the original uh, people of God in, you know, in Israel? Why is that so important for us to get this bit right? Because it just sounds like a little technicality. 
Why is it so important for us? Well, when God revealed himself, firstly, to uh, his servant Moses, remember way back at the beginning of the story of the people of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 or so years, and Moses was uh, tending sheep out in the wilderness. Um, and uh, there was a bush that day that was on fire, which isn't anything unusual because it was very dry, very arid, and there would be bushfires, and you know, naturally that would happen. Uh, but the thing that was particularly interesting to Moses at that time was that this bush was burning and burning and burning. Usually they just sort of smolder out and that's that. But this, this thing kept going and going. And, and I've no doubt that Moses probably stood back and watched it for half an hour, maybe even an hour, as the, the sheep were sort of you know, mulling around. This thing just kept on roaring, burning. And he thought, oh my goodness, this is odd. So he went up and, uh, you know, he thought what was quite strange at the start got even more weird. Because then God spoke to him, as it turned out, God spoke to him from this burning bush. And he said, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy. You're on holy ground. You're in my presence. And God then said to Moses, look, I, I've heard the cry of my people. Their oppression has risen up to me and I'm going to come down and do something about it. I'm going to come down and free them from Egypt, from slavery. I'm going to use you. And so Moses said, Okay, I'll, I'll do it. Um, who shall I tell them has sent me? In other words, what is your name, great Lord and divine being? He didn't know who he was talking to, of course. And the Lord God said, my name is Yahweh. That's what we've just been singing. My name is Yahweh. Uh, otherwise known as I am. If you, if you translate it, it's a verb, right? I am. That's my name, Yahweh. So significant, so important. It's not a description about God. Uh, I am love or I am powerful. No, this is my actual name. My name's David. That's my personal name. This is God's personal name. And he doesn't give that out to anybody. He gives it out to people that he loves and he wants to be known to and he wants to enter into a covenant relationship with a special permanent relationship, a bond. My name's Yahweh. This is the covenant name that's just been given. So significant, so important. This is God's own name. And that's why, as we can see in the Old Testament, why it shouldn't be misused. Uh, there, there, is a, there is a massive range of ways that the Old Testament then understands this, um, uh, this, this um, commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, because that alone doesn't really help us that much. What, what does that mean to take the Lord's name in vain or make it empty? Okay, it's important, but what does it mean to make it empty? Well, the Old, Old Testament, as you read through the law code and, and later on into the books of the prophets, you can understand uh, that the way the Bible under, understands this commandment is not using the name of God in any way that empties it, so we can't use it as a, as a curse word. Uh, we, uh, Israel were, were, were prohibited from using God's name in, in making false promises. I promise you in the name of God, I'll do X, Y, and Z. You know, I'll give 50 sheep to my brother uh, Reuben down the road. I, you can't do that because God's name is so holy. It prohibits the use of uh, God's name in sw you know, swearing kind of thing. Even being slow to fulfill a promise that you made in the name of God. That is also a breaking of the third commandment. I'll, I'll promise you in the name of God to give this. In the name of the Lord, I should do that. But in five years' time, you still haven't done it. That is, a, that is an abuse of this command, according to the Old Testament. You can go and read it. Other ways that the Old Testament applies this commandment. Misuse. 
worthless offerings, bringing offerings to God in worship. If you do that in a worthless way or in a vain way, you just don't care about it, that is also considered by Isaiah 1.13 as a breaking of this commandment. Prophecies given in the name of God, which are false prophecies and don't, don't turn out to be true, that is breaking the third commandment according to Ezekiel 13 verse 2. Malachi 1.12 says, even if you come to worship in church or at the temple and your heart's just not in it and you go through the motions, you're using God words and God worship language, but you're just not there, and your heart, that is a breaking of the third commandment according to Malachi 1.12. Even, this is very broad, even a life lived without purpose towards God, a life of insignificance is a breaking of this commandment according to Job 7.3. A really wide way, range that we can break or, or Israel could break the third commandment. What's the point? The point is this, all the time, God's name is at stake. So anything that his people can do, uh, that causes his name and his reputation to be emptied, for him to become uh, you know, weakened, if you like, for his name to be made worthless, is a breaking of the third commandment. And the Old Testament is clear. It is so important. God's name is so important that it must be respected. In short, your use of God's name reveals your understanding of God. Your use of God's name reveals your understanding of God. And don't forget all this stuff, all this law that, that was given to Israel to live. The, the point was for them to respond to God and also to be a light to the nations. The way they lived should bring glory to God. It should, should make others outside be like, wow, your God is amazing. I, I want to know more. That's, that's the point of the law. One of them. So any way that Israel would live that brings disrepute upon Yahweh is considered a breaking of the third commandment. You with me? Good. It's broad. So let's think then a little bit about how we today, how this might affect us today in the, in the church, right? Because we're not Israel in that same sense. Um, we are the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So how can we break it? Because this law still applies, hasn't, hasn't gone away. How can we break it today? Well, any, any careless use, we've kind of figured this out already, any careless use of the name of God is a breaking of the third commandment. Um, and let's add the name of Christ as well. It's a pretty common way, isn't it? You see it on TV uh, all the time, and, and you hear it all, all, all the time at work and maybe uh, in your own families or what have you, just the name of God or Christ just being used as a, a throwaway word just to mean, oh dear, or ah, you know, just an exclamation, if anything, uh, or maybe just a, you know, um, some, something's, something's gone wrong and someone says Christ, and we don't think too much of it. But that's, that's breaking the third commandment. That's, that's the... That's, that's just the way it is. It reveals our understanding of God. But how else can we break it? Well, we, like Israel, can make promises to God. God, if, if you do this for me, or, or, or if I, you know, then I, this will happen to me. Um, or I promise you in the name of God I'll do this. Or Lord, I will definitely do this if you do that. Um, we make promises in God's name all the time. Uh, in private or in public, for example, if, if two people are, are married, particularly in a, in a church or religious ceremony, you know, they're making promises before God in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, you know, I solemnly swear. And so if we break our, our marriage covenant, we're effectively breaking the, the third commandment. If we're not living out our promises, we're breaking the third commandment because we promised in the name of God. All sorts of other ways, maybe when you go into court and you're sworn in, you know. 
Uh, these days you get a choice. Do you want the sort of the secular promise or do you want the religious promise? And uh, I've been in court myself uh, as, as a witness, I hasten to add. And, um, you know, I've got the option. Do you, want to, do you want to swear by the Bible or do you want to swear by uh, just a sort of form of words? And I chose the Bible um, just because the, I thought it had more, you know, uh, more, more, more weight, more gravitas behind what I was saying. So we can, we can break, break the command in that way. Uh, look, let's just face it, it can be very broad as a church. Uh, likewise with, with Israel, in our apathy, you know, when we come to worship God. And, and again, we just go through the motions and we use God words. And we, we have a sort of that will do type of attitude when it comes to serving and, and, and uh, you know, ministering in the local church. That can be a breaking of the third commandment. Any false or manipulative prophecies that we can give, you know, in the name of God, I'll say this and that and the other thing which turn out not to be true or turn out to be harmful. Um, that, too, can be a breaking of the third commandment. But in its broadest, broadest way, anybody who takes the name of Christian, the name of Christ upon them, and yet does not live out in a way that honors the Christ whose name they have upon them, they are, in effect, also breaking the third commandment. You see how broad this can get. You know, if you take upon yourself the name of Christ and you're, you're known somehow or other as a Christian and yet you have a poor work ethic... Maybe you're a terrible colleague. Maybe you're just nasty. (laughs) Then, quite frankly, you are a disgrace to the one whose name you bear. Your hypocrisy can also be termed as blasphemy because you're breaking the third commandment. You're saying, I'm a Christian, and yet you're you're bringing disrepute to God in the way you you live your life. There's a whole manner of ways that that can happen. You just need to fill in the blanks. But as I've said, the use of God's name, and let's add the name of Jesus Christ as well, reveals your understanding of him and your relationship to him. You know, if you love and honor and desire and are in awe of God and what he's done and who he is and Jesus Christ and his significance and his beauty and his deity, then how can you possibly use the name in vain? But we do. Maybe you are sitting, though, thinking this morning, well, that's okay, that's fine if you're a Christian, if you're a a religious person, a believer of some form or other. That's okay, um, but but, but that's just for for those who choose to live by the law. I I, I choose to live in in a different way. I choose to live by my own values, thank you very much. And so I will not be bound by uh, the law, by this commandment or any other commandment from the Bible. I don't believe that. What if that's you? Or if you know people who would, would say that? You just, uh, you know, people who would want to live by their own values and set their own pace. Well, um, one, one famous, um, well-known Christian author and philosopher uh, by the name of Francis Schaeffer had a great illustration um, to answer that sort of criticism, you know. Um, and he said, imagine uh, the day you were born, uh, someone put a, a voice recorder around your neck and it stayed there for all of your all of your days, until you go up to the pearly gates. The voice recorder is not on all the time. It just clicks on every time you make a value judgment about someone else. Or if you expect someone else to behave in a certain way, it clicks on and it records that. So say you, you, you grow up and you, know, you say to um, someone at work or what have you, um, or you think in your heart, you know, I was expecting you to act in this way towards me. I was expecting you to be generous towards me. Um, you know, you're in your car and you're thinking about the, the guy who's just cut you up and you're thinking, what an idiot, he should have let me out. 
Every time you make some sort of value judgment or some sort of expectation on other people, that voice recorder clicks off, sorry, clicks on, and it, it, it captures it. And then one day, say, you end up in heaven, and uh, you're still at the pearly gates, and you, you, you appear before God at the great, you know, the great bar of God's justice. And uh, you, know, you, you say, well, God, you can't judge me by your law because I didn't live by it, so it's not fair. You can't do that. And, and God will say, okay, okay, fine. Give me that voice recorder. And so he takes the voice recorder from around your neck that's been recording every valley judgment that you've ever made, every expectation you've ever had on other people. And he says, okay, fine. I won't judge you by my law. I'll judge you by your law. And he turns it around and hits play. I wonder if that was you. How would you do in living up to your own expectations and values, let alone God's? Fine, you don't want to live according to God's will and God's words, that's fine. But can you even live up to your own values? When you expect people to act with respect and dignity towards you, do you always act completely with respect and dignity towards other people? When you expect everybody to treat you fairly and speak well of you behind your back, do you not also find yourself gossiping? That guy you cut up you cut up on the road. Did you not expect him to act fairly towards you? See, we can't even live up to our own values. It's impossible. Let's just be honest. It's impossible to do. So whether we're religious or, or non-religious, it's impossible for us to live as we should. And so we need help. We need help. Because there's not one person in this room who has not fallen foul of the law of God, I'll tell you that. So we're thinking about the command and we're thinking about how we have broken it. But let's then think about Jesus and how he makes a difference. We've thought about guilt. Let's think about grace. Let's read uh, Deuteronomy 5, 11 again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord uh, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Can you see, by the way, just as a interesting thing, uh, those capital letters there when it says Lord. That's, that's the divine name we're talking about here. The translators put it in little capitals like that, but that's Yahweh. That's, that's, that's what's going on in the Hebrew. You shall not take uh, the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless. Those who take his name in vain will not hold him guiltless. You, know, you can go to uh, Leviticus 24, and you can see there was a time in Israel when the law had just been given where there was a guy who was in a fight with another dude, and the first guy used the name of Yahweh as a curse word in the fight, right? Uh, punching each other, just trying to take each other down, and, and one of them used the name of Yahweh as a curse. And uh, th this, this, this individual was pulled out of the fight and taken to Moses and to the elders and said, this, this man uh, has used the name of Yahweh as a curse, what are we going to do? So they discern uh, the will of God on this matter. And God actually spoke into this situation and said, yeah, he's, he's got to go. He's got to die. He's taken my name in vain. So everybody who heard him do that was to lay their hands on him, kind of like what we did, just did with Tim in a, in a, in a negative way, and uh, lay their hands on the, the, the man who blasphemed the name of Yahweh. And then the whole community was to pick up a stone and stone him to death. This is the application of the commandment the Lord will not hold him guiltless. And he surely didn't in Leviticus 24. God's name is so holy. It is so divine. It is so glorious because it speaks of who he is, his actual being, his actual person. Any misuse of that name deserves death. 
my goodness me, I tell you what, when I was studying this and I was just starting to understand what the, the, the command was actually saying and how it's just so much more than just saying, oh my God, every now and again. It's so much more than that. It is vast. It is broad. It is using the, the name of God in, in, in disrepute. The weight of that guilt is tremendous. And so what I'm not going to do here, folks, by the way, is just say to you, okay, don't be bad. Don't use the name of God in vain. Try and be better. Try and do uh, the, the following three things. If I do that upon you, that's not going to help you because you just go away with even more guilt and even more laws to obey and, and even more failure coming your way. But let's, let's turn to Jesus. How does Jesus and the gospel make all this very different? In Matthew 26, we, we read of Jesus and, and he's coming to the end of his life and he's being interrogated by the high priests. And there he is. He's been beaten up a few times already. He's just a bit bloody and a bit uh, bruised. And he was stood there before the council of, 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 uh, of Israel. He was on trial and, and the high priests swore him in. You know, and they did it using the, the old-fashioned uh, terminology. He said, I adjure you in the name of the living God. You know, he, he, put, he placed him under oath. He said, by the name of God, you, you've got to speak honestly. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? Answer me. And so Jesus replied and said, you have said so, but from now on you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Effectively, Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one, and you will see me lifted up in the presence of God, and I will come in judgment. And what did the high priest and all of those gathered there do? They shouted, blasphemy! He has lied under oath. He has taken the name of God in vain. He must be lying. Death for him. And so they dragged him off to, to Pilate, you know, the, the, the Roman governor of that district, and they convinced him to put Jesus to death, and he did. He killed him, and he stuck him on a cross and crucified him. But do you note what Jesus died for, according to the high priests? He died for blasphemy. We've got him, they thought. He's just claimed he's the son of man. He's just lied under oath, blasphemy. And it says in Leviticus 22, we have to kill him. Let's do that. Jesus died for blasphemy, and yet he never transgressed, right? He never took the Father's name in vain. He never joked with the name of God. He never treated the name of God frivolously. He never disrespected God. He was always delighted with God. He always loved God. He always enjoyed God with every beat of his heart, and yet he died as a blasphemer. Here's the gospel, folks. Here's the thing that makes sense of that entire situation with Jesus. Jesus there in the gospel stands as your representative. And he stands as your substitute. That means he stands in your, on your behalf and in your place. A representative is somebody who stands on behalf of a whole group of people, right? And what happens to that person? Uh, you know, he, he or she represents the group of people that they're above. Jesus is your representative in the gospel. But he's also your substitute. You know, you're familiar, I've no doubt, with sports, you know, football or rugby or whatever sport you follow. Substitutes are a part of the game, right? If someone's not playing well or if they're injured or if they're just getting tired, they'll get subbed out. 
someone else will come on who's fit, who's raring to go, will come straight in, in, that, in the place of that person. Jesus is your representative. He stands and represents his people. He is your substitute. He switches with you. And that's what was going on when he was getting interrogated. He was switching himself for you. He was doing it in your place. It was as if you were standing there and the law was being passed upon you and death was required for your guilt. But that's the gospel, right? It's his death for your blasphemy. The apostle Paul said, God made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us. That means all of the times that you have misused the name of God or Christ, all those curse words that you have spoken in anger, all those vows that you have broken that you took in the name of God, all those times you have dishonoured and emptied the name of Jesus, all that apathy that you have brought into worship, all those times that you have brought the name of Christ into disrepute because of your lifestyle and the way that you have represented him at work, all your guilt was placed on Jesus, your representative and your substitute, And his death sorted all that out for you. Your guilt on him, his death for you, and he did it because he loves you. In the gospel, Jesus says, I'll do it. I will go to the cross for you. I will lay down my life for you. You are my bride. You are my beloved. You are my people. I will go willingly because I love you. That's the gospel. And it means, in the words of one old hymn, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus, Jesus, and all in him is mine. The guilt is gone, folks, when you believe in Jesus. The punishment has been paid when you believe in Jesus. Justice has been done in the most surprising way. By the way, that's one of the great, um, I think, evidences for the Christian faith. You just couldn't write this stuff. You couldn't make it up. It is just too far out there if it wasn't true justice has been done by that exchange you and I can be free that will never be rolled back you have peace with God you have forgiveness and life through Jesus Christ that is the gospel so how do we live then how do we live because the law still stands and yet Christ has paid the punishments well when we understand Jesus and what he's done for us How can we take the name of Jesus lightly? How can we take it insincerely? How can it not burn within us and and, and change the way that we are at work and the way that we drive our car and the way that we serve in the local church if we understand Jesus and the gospel? If we understand our Father, that our Father gave up his Son, his only Son, so that he could win you back to himself, that Christ laid his life down, how can you not give your life back to him in, in, in worship and awe? Lifting up his name. We're just going to sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. That's what you will want to sing if you understand what Jesus has done for you. Do you have a problem with cursing and using God's name as a swear word? Just ask the Holy Spirit, please, for self-control. God, help me. Control me. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Self-control. Ask for it. He will give lavishly. Is it your lifestyle that is bringing disrepute to Jesus? Then repent, please. Turn away. Turn to Jesus. He will forgive you no matter what you've done. He will give you the power to live a godly life no matter where you are starting. 
It is it your attitude in church, your apathy perhaps, when you see Jesus and what he has done for you. You will want to lift up the name of Jesus. You want to give him reverence and awe. You want to come every Sunday with a sense of expectancy because our God is among us and his name is powerful. Folks, we're not legalists here. We're going to help each other. You know, none of us is perfect. By the grace of God, we help one another to live a life that is pleasing to him. And yet we do not condemn each other when we see slippages and, and breakages of the commandments. We just point one another back to Jesus again. That's what we do here at Foundation Church. We're a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. And that means we enjoy God together, we learn about him together, and we are transformed by his word and spirit together so that we can become a light to the world. Through Jesus Christ, our blaspheming has been taken to the grave, never to return again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for revealing yourself to us. You are the great I am. You are Yahweh. You are the God of the covenant. You promise to bind yourself in love to your people and you Give us your son, your only son, so that we can be with you forever. Father God, we thank you for the law. We thank you that you show us how we can live to your glory, how we can enjoy you, how we can respond to you. Forgive us, O oh Lord, when we fail, when we fall short, when we use your name in vain in a billion different ways. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he did everything that is necessary for us because of his love for us, to free us, to forgive us. Guilt is gone. Grace upon grace is poured out upon us. Help us, Lord, to understand by your spirit the areas of our lives that we need to bring before you so that we might live to your praise and your glory. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We need your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.